Welcome to this further time together in God's Word. And I trust since we last uh, met together through this medium that you have known the daily sufficiency of our God, the God who reigns over all, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there was a, a, a point during our Lord's earthly ministry when his disciples had an opportunity to ask him to teach them something. They had been his students. They had walked with him. They had watched him. They had listened to him. They had been amazed at him. And so what was the subject that they wanted to learn more about? Well, if you recall our previous messages, it was summarized in that question put by that unnamed disciple who came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And as I've indicated previously, it, it would appear to these followers of Jesus that there was a, a, a link between Jesus' private life in prayer and his public life of power. And so we have been looking at Jesus' answer to this request. That answer we know as the Lord's Prayer, recorded by Luke and his Gospel, but also by Matthew, and it's to Matthew's account that we're giving our consideration. We've looked at the, the uh, information that Jesus gives in the preface to his remarks about prayer, where he speaks of the, the dangers and the delights in, in prayer, generally speaking. And then he begins to tell us how to pray, the invocation, our Father who is in heaven. That, that sense that we're coming to one who is intimately acquainted with us and loves us dearly, our Father but also to remind us of his majesty, of his greatness. He is he's not the guy next door. He is our Father who is in heaven. And then we've looked at the first two words, the first two petitions that relate to our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. And we have noticed the connection between these petitions, that our passion and prayer that the Father shall be worshipped and reverenced and adored by all peoples everywhere will only come about by the Father's sovereign grace and saving mercy. That is, His kingdom, His rule, His reign, coming in order to rescue and redeem sinful rebels. Now, flowing from those two God-centered petitions comes our third, your petition. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And once more, the note struck in the first two petitions is heard in this one as well. That is, we're, we're confronted by the absolute sovereignty 
of God's will. You see, is, is, this, is this prayer for God's universal and eternal praise just wishful thinking on our part? As we look out on this, this, this world, the anger, the division, the disruption, the lawlessness, the crime, the corruption. Uh, how, can, how can unity, how can harmony, how can peace and not war be a reality? How can God be first in people's hearts? Is it possible to live in peace? Is it possible to look forward to living happily ever after? The skeptic H.G. Wells once said that the world is like a, a great stage production managed by God. As the curtain goes up, it's all lovely to behold. The, the characters are fantastically beautiful, a delight to behold. All goes well until the leading man steps on the hem of the leading lady's dress. She then trips over a chair which knocks over a lamp, which pushes against a table, which goes into the side wall. And this in turn knocks over the back scenery, which brings, brings the whole thing crashing down upon the heads of the actors. Meanwhile, be behind the scene, God the producer is frantically running to and fro, pulling strings, shouting orders, trying desperately to restore order to the chaos. But alas, he is unable to do so. It's nothing but chaos and confusion. Now that may be the, the view of a skeptical society. You know, God, a, a, a God trying to do his best, but this world has gotten beyond him. It's, it's too much for him. But thank God, that is not the view of Scripture. The view that gives us hope and assurance to this prayer and by this petition. For what, what is the reality? What is the true picture. What is the unseen behind the scene? Well, in virtue of God's decreed will, everything that takes place on, on earth, however great it may be, or however small it may be, no matter whether it be minute or mighty, however much opposed it may seem to be to his revealed will, or how much in agreement with it is ruled and overruled by him, has been foreseen by him and will be made in, in spite of the rebellious spirit of fallen man and the malice of devils to contribute to his glory. For the Bible makes it clear that the Lord has made all things for himself, even the wicked, for the day of evil. 
And the truth is, there is no anxiety in heaven. God is not frantically running around trying to put out the fires. There is no drops of sweat gleaming on the Father's upper lip. However erring and even reckless a person's course may be, they are in spite of themselves daily working out heaven's purposes, the absolute sovereignty of God's will. One only has to recall the words of Joshua, rather of of Joseph, to his brothers, who had tried to do him so much harm, and Joseph who had suffered so, so many setbacks, in life. And yet what what was his conclusion? What was his confession to the brothers? Listen to his words. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. My friends, God's will is the authoritative absolute. And so the message of Scripture that is blazoned across the heavens is this. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. But notice, if you will, the second part of this petition. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think with me a little bit about that. For here is the the heavenly splendor of God's will. Not simply the, the absolute sovereignty of his will, but the heavenly splendor of his will. For how is God's will done in heaven? Well, please forgive the following illustration. You've probably heard it from my lips many times before. But this is it. You know, the the kids come home from school. Mum's making dinner. Dad's expected to arrive home shortly. After finishing their homework, the, 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 the children are allowed to, to watch the cartoons on TV. And uh, Dad arrives home. Mum announces that dinner will be ready in just a moment. And so get yourselves prepared. But there's no movement in front of the TV. A couple of minutes later, Dad, who's home, yells out, Dinner's ready. Come and get it. But again, there's there's stillness. There's not a movement in front of the television set. And so now it's action stations. Dad goes in, switches off the television, and the kids grudgingly, make their way into the dining room for dinner. There's obedience. But what kind of obedience? You see, what is true obedience? True obedience involves three elements. It's doing what you're told. It's doing what you're told when you're told to do it. And it's doing what you're told when you're told to do it with a happy face. That is 
with the right heart attitude. So what do we see in heaven? The splendor of God's will being done flawlessly. For all sin has gone. There is no hesitancy, no more rebellion, no more anarchy, no more bitterness of spirit, no more attitude. In heaven, the Father's will is done flawlessly, faultlessly, and perfectly. Furthermore, in heaven, the Father's will is done fervently, that is, immediately, devotedly, constantly. The angelic host, we're told in Revelation 7, serve him day and night in his temple. And again, Revelation chapter 4, they rest not day and night. In addition to that, in heaven, the Father's will is done freely. No pressure needs be applied. No incentive offered, no threat made, but cheerfully, gladly, joyfully, his will is embraced and exercised. And then to describe God's will being done in heaven, we may add the word faithfully, faithfully. The angels are in a perpetual state of waiting upon God for his commands. They only act when ordered to, and then they act loyally and reverently and faithfully. The picture that is presented to us in the 123rd Psalm, the second verse, Words that uh, illustrate the will being done in heaven. Listen to these words. Behold, as the eyes of servant look to the hands of the maker, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Ready, waiting, eager, willing, just looking for the hand of God to move, and they're ready in an instant to freely give themselves to do the Father's will. How is the Father's will done in heaven? With the right heart attitude, joyfully, without any complaint, delightfully, considering it a privilege to serve, a rejoicing at every opportunity to obey, harmoniously for those of every station in life and from every state in life coming together with their praises with their anthems with their songs of hallelujah coming together in order that we we may render praise to god and that we may have the privilege of doing his will heaven is a wonderful place full of glory and grace And saints and angels are one in willing worship and service. But what of here? And what of now? For what is this petition? Your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. What a needful prayer. What a necessary petition which brings such a personal application. For what are we praying for? That the Father's name will be loved and honored and revered that his kingdom authority, his rule and reign will bring many to delight in him and depend upon him. And so to that end there is required, even for we who are his disciples, to learn the earthly submission required to do God's will. The earthly submission to God's will. A submission on earth which has been demonstrated for us. Demonstrated for us by Him who came and was able to honestly and with integrity confess, I delight to do your will, O my God. I'm thinking the 116th Psalm and verses 12 and 13. Let me read these words to you. Psalm 116, 12 and 13. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. What what can I what can I give back to God for all the blessings and the benefits and the bounty He has given to me? Well, notice the response. Not I, I I will give, but rather I will lift up. I will I will take the cup of salvation. That is, I will turn to Him to do His will. I will turn to Him in worship. I will testify of Him by witness. I will take what He offers to me. Now Psalm 116 is one of the Hallel Psalms. Psalms 113 through 118. And these Psalms were sung at Passover. And therefore it was a Psalm sung by our Saviour with his disciples before he went to Gethsemane where he heard him pray, Father, If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we know, do we not, the outcome of that prayer. Jesus took the cup that the Father gave to him. The cup of shame and of suffering and of sacrifice. That bitter cup of divine wrath. He took the cup and he drank it to the end, drinking each and every drop. He accepted the Father's will and so glorified the Father by his willing submission. And that is what is meant to pray 
that the will of God be done on earth. The faithful, willing, readiness to obey God whatever He gives to us and brings to us with the right heart attitude. For Jesus gave His life for us as an example and demonstration of this prayer, this petition being realized. This earthly submission demonstrated for us by the Savior. And it is a submission which is demanded of us by the Savior. Because the Father has provided him a Savior. He spared not his only Son, but he, Christ Jesus, made full atonement for sin by laying down his own life and has by his full and, and glorious submission made a satisfaction to God which has purchased and procured eternal life to all who will believe. And what does it mean to believe? It means that we are willing to trust Him and obey Him. That we have confidence and obedience and both are essential characteristics that are involved in one's salvation. Confidence in the person and work of Christ and obedience to His call to turn from our sin and to follow Him. Submission to the Savior is therefore part of what is demanded of the gospel. On at least two occasions, the Apostle Paul, in, in his writings, speaks about the fear that should come upon those who know not God and refuse to obey the gospel. Trust Him. Obey Him. Are these the elements in your spiritual journey? Have you ever bowed your knee to King Jesus? And if not, why not? Because my dear friends, let me tell you this, one day you shall. Because the Bible makes it clear and certain that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Those who are his children, willingly, delighting to do so, to give him honor and reverence and praise. To those who are not, maybe grudgingly, but certainly fearfully and with trembling, they will bow, bow before him and before a gaping hell that awaits to gather you up. So if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never obeyed the gospel, why not now? Why not now ask him for the grace that you need, the strength that you need, the will that you need to do his will, to, to come to him and submit to him as Savior and Lord. He's displayed it. It's demanded. And so thirdly, and finally, 
this willing submission to our Father in heaven is surely something that we ought to desire to manifest and to declare before him. To desire as his child to please him in doing his will with the right heart attitude. And so I, I close with some comments by Philip Wrighton as, as he wrote about Betty Stam, a missionary in China. Let me read to you. Betty and her husband John were captured by communists, stripped half-naked and marched in chains through the streets of their village. Betty was forced to watch as her captors chopped her husband's head off. Then she herself was beheaded. Many years before her horrific martyrdom, Betty Stam wrote the following prayer. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, to be thine forever. Fill me, and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt, and work out thy whole will and my life at any cost, now and forever. What a wonderful confession. What a wonderful illustration of a child of God saying, I'm not my own. I have been bought with a price. I therefore want to glorify God by my body, whether by life or by death. How can we as the Father's children respond to this third petition? Simply yet supremely, by our own readiness to willingly do His will. Our own prayer of commitment and surrender to God's will, so that we would delight with the right heart attitude to obey Him, whatever may befall us. And you know, Betty Stam is not the only one in the history of the Church who's made such a prayer or confession. There's a host standing behind us, urging us to do the same. One of them is that, in one sense, great figure, but physically he was a small man, John Wesley. John Wesley once wrote a wonderful prayer of submission to the Father, and I think it's a prayer that we can take up ourselves. If you've never prayed such a prayer, why not join with me and make this your confession before the Father, expressing your desire before the Father. Listen to Wesley's words and let's let's make them our own. Father, he said, I'm no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing or put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you, or led aside for you, exalted for you, 
or brought low for you? Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Can you pray that? Is your desire to express that? Do you want to be that kind of a person, totally sold out to Jesus Christ? This is what is required.